X marks the spot. In honor of Uncharted, what cinema's best hidden treasure? I am Katie Rich, and I have an answer only made possible because David never reads these ahead of time, and it is, I put the diamond in the coat. And I put the coat on her. I'm Matt Patches, just, and I'm going to... Just so we're clear. Go, I'm... I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with whatever um, Gul'dan and Medivh and all those uh, cats wanted from the Warcraft movie. Probably gold or something. Maybe a portal. <laughs> I think they were trying to open a portal. Uh, hey, it's me, David the Seven, and uh, throw me an idol, and I'll throw you the whip. And that's the, the idol from Raiders of the Lost Ark. We're doing quotes, apparently. Uh, and I am David Ehrlich, and I've, of course, got to go with uh, Magellan's Lost Gold from the movie Uncharted. <laughs> Tough to top. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. I, I guess I'll just, I'll just stick to my brand and go with Madame Kozlova's pop-up book, or as Jim Broadbent would say, her pop-up book from Paddington 2. <laughs> Magellan, someone who's famously had gold. Uh, well, he he I mean, Katie, I don't want to spoil, well. you know, all the backstory of Uncharted. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 380. It is Pandemic 100. My we goodness. did it. How far we've come. Yeah, we did it. Pandemic's over. Congratulations. No, I mean, uh, we've all survived for asked... 100 weeks of the pandemic. That's exciting. <laughs> if we had asked any of us in April 2020, when presumably we started keeping count about how far we'd get into it, I, I'm certain none of us would have said 100, which is very depressing. I think we started uh, tracking it like after South by Southwest was canceled because we just it was like kind of half jokey at that point. It's like, oh, the mm-hmm. pandemic's on. And then oh, kept yeah. going. I'm still not yeah. sure when it will be over. Like what counts? Uh, when do we like when do we, we stop counting? We, the pandemic, we, it turns setting, out, patches is over when you when you feel like it's over. That seems to be the going the going rationale for people who have just decided uh <laughs> You know, they've had enough of it. We're and, giving uh, up. Yeah, and the, and the virus <laughs> definitely respects that. Um, yeah. The first time be- Dave goes grocery shopping without a mask, maybe that's when the pandemic's over. I, I gotta be honest, <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever go grocery shopping without a mask ever again. Why would I? It, it's so easy. I know. Everyone's gross. Um, it's really true. It's a good idea. It is true. And, and I, I sympathize with Patch's point, but I think that, you know, five years from now, barring another pandemic, if Patches, feeling perfectly healthy without anyone who is immunocompromised at home, wore a mask to the supermarket. I would look like a lunatic. I would have the right to punch him exactly one time in the arm. Mm. Or just call him a nerd. Nerd. But I do the think that, is, I, I mean, there's, there's a 0% yeah. chance because of how everything has unfolded and how politicized it's been <laughs> that right. the pandemic has uh, <laughs> turned America into a mass culture like so many countries. Uh, you know, China and Japan uh, had been before all this started. Uh, not that it, you know, necessarily did all that much good to help me here, but that that always seemed to be like potential. Well, not always, but the start of this seemed like a potential silver lining that we could finally adopt a culture where people who are sick, or uh, you know, especially people who are sick, 
might show some respect for for strangers on the subway or whatnot. Um, but now it seems like uh, there's very little likelihood of that happening. Do you think happening. New York City, do you think New York could be that at least? Do you think New York is going to be the model of respect for other people's space in this country? On the subway? No, look, um, God, New Yorkers on the subway in terms of respecting space, it's like there's nowhere in America that let's, comes Let's to try and get people to, to stop uh, cutting their fingernails and, on the subway and then we'll get to respecting <laughs> space. But like <sighs> most people don't. That's the thing. Like most New Yorkers on the subway are really practiced in observing other people's personal space. And I, I think you guys are not getting um, I think we're, we're good about like not wanting to put ourselves in other people's personal space. But in terms of the uh, care that people on the subway show for other people's well-being, I would say it's not particularly high. In that, like, yeah, maybe you are going to make sure that your arms aren't brushing up against anybody. But if someone is being brutally, um, like, mauled by a tiger seven feet away from you, <laughs> you are just going to be looking down at your wordle and pretending you don't see it. So I think, you know, that doesn't bode well for our mask adoption. Uh, perhaps our next quarter call should just be us telling subway stories because I feel like we're uh we're just itching for an opportunity. Jonathan to talk about Demi's it. fighting in the war rooms <laughs> subway story. <laughs> uh, well, did you know that uh, it's the week of February, uh, Wednesday, February sixteenth, and that's the day that in nineteen thirty eight, bringing a baby starring Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant was released. They didn't have any of these problems back then. They cut their nails on the subway all they wanted. <laughs> uh. David. 1938, a year that was famously free of problems worldwide. <laughs> I mean, in America, I'm sure people felt great not knowing what was on the horizon. Uh, hey, David. Yeah. Do we have any, do we have any reviews? Uh, we sure do, Katie. We have two reviews. Uh, and, uh, although I'm sad to report mm. before I read these two short reviews that Tyler Durden 99 left us a review on our previous episode saying that he had just found this podcast and was going to change his rating depending, you know, if he kept listening, depending on what he heard, has yet to adjust his rating or weigh in again. So we're still waiting for an update there, uh, mm-hmm. sitting on the edge of our seats. But we do have new reviews from A.W. Crandall. says, a milestone. No real substance here. Just want to be part of Pandemic Episode 100. That is my philosophy wow. and my approach to this episode <laughs> as well, A.W. Crandall. Uh, great just podcast. Just wanted to be here. Great hosts, great conversations. Thanks for being a part of maintaining my sanity over the past 100 weeks, even though I think you've all lost just a little bit of your own. Yeah, that's about right. Too true, my friend. Finally, Jason O says, finally, reviewing. Every week I tell myself I'm going to write a review for this, and every week I completely forget. But today I have conquered my forgetfulness. Guess I ate enough blueberries or something. Just want to say that I love the show and thanks to you guys for helping the weeks go by a bit faster. Well, thanks to you for listening. And if blueberries truly have that profound impact on memory, uh, my son is going to remember literally everything that happens to him when he is two years old right now, which is a horrifying prospect. You know, uh, this week I remembered to do something that I had been forgetting to do week after week. So maybe it's it's spreading. Was it murder? What, shower? Uh, call the car insurance company. <laughs> you have to call them? Don't you have an app for that? Whatever oh it is. Oh my God, I, you do not want me to get into it. I called them, we're working on it. Well, that could be our new Good thing. Luck. If people oh, right. uh, don't leave us a review, Katie's going to talk about car insurance. <laughs> Let's talk car <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, you guys have no idea how long I could go on about this, so get ready. Who do you, who do you use? Geico or... No, this is, we have to save this. People left us reviews. They don't deserve this. It's I'm true. getting yeah, bored. It's true. I mean, yes. I mean also have... Katie, your silence tells me that you use the general. We know. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, we also have uh, emails. 
if uh, now is the time for emails? This, you should read an email. Read an email. Ha- what, wait, what is our email address, Dave? Where people our, could email, our email address is fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Good, also say at the end of the show. Thoughts when uh, you have an international Apple account and but I mean, what never read your review. What is hard. sitting what is sitting on FITWR at gmail.com? <laughs> we need to email them and find out who they are and what they want. That's true. It could just be a past version of Dave that forgets that he signed up for it. <laughs> if you emailed no that email address asking who they were and the email had showed up in your inbox because you would forward it to yourself. That would have been. Or no, what if it what if it goes to like 2012 Dave and he gets to talk to himself? I feel like this is the plot sign of the upcoming uh, yeah. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, sign Netflix up for our movie. eight our eight part uh, true crime podcast on Patreon, <laughs> yeah. we'll, where we'll be exploring this topic. And I love drip, that drip, Dave drip emails detail. himself in the Dave emails himself in the past at a crime results from. Do you guys do, you guys do the uh, thing? Of where... course, a crime would result yes, from of that. Course. Yes. Do you guys do that thing? I'm where also you like email Marty yourself, McFly, just immediately to crime. Where you email yourself something for whatever reason. And then in the seven milliseconds that elapse between when you send the email and you receive the email, you forget that you have emailed yourself. And so when you get pinged, oh, you're yeah. like, oh, what's that? Yep. Man, yep. never right. feel dumber. And I have plenty of opportunities to feel stupid, but that is at the time. All right, I'm gonna read I'm gonna read two of these three emails. <laughs> because right. one is about one is about station eleven and one uh is seven days old. So this is uh, prob- probably could have read it last week. Here we go. This one uh, is from Martin, who says, I've been hearing David talk about his addiction to Talenti pumpkin pie gelato for a long time and been wondering how it tasted. I live in Cleveland and have never spotted the pumpkin pie flavor in the wild. But then in December, I did find a specific branch of my local supermarket called uh, Giant Eagle, and I immediately snagged three of them for later consumption. See picture. He has attached a picture. Wait, can you? Okay, Dave. Wait, I'm just gonna stop right here. <laughs> when you're looking at the picture, does the does the what was it called? The 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 what do we call it? My words failing me. Not a can. Uh, the tub. The whatever. Container. The container. Um, oh, you're sending me the photo. Okay, so it is. Oh, yeah. It is the new layers variety. See, I have a theory that one of the reasons pumpkin pie is such an elusive flavor of Talenti because they pulled it off the shelves to rebrand it as part of the Layers uh, brand of Talenti. And in the case of the pumpkin pie flavor, it doesn't actually make a material difference. It's still essentially the same recipe as just the regular Talenti pumpkin pie flavor. They can, I mean, that they, it's still, it's not like with the crazy crunchies or anything like that. It's still pretty basic, but the same thing. Anyway, go on. Martin, You continues. have talked about this before. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely have. Martin says David has questionable takes on movies, but I now know I can trust him on Frozen Treats. Okay, that's it. No Star Wars video game content this week. Mission accomplished. Oh my god, I haven't had a bite in months. Can't find it anywhere. I was want to say we haven't heard you talk about this in so long. I know. Well, it's it's sleepy time tea season. We haven't. You know, in a couple months we'll go back to ice cream season, and the hunt will begin anew. Um, I do have a little mini. Carvel cake in my freezer right now for my wife's birthday. Not in the shape of a whale, I'm sad to say, but delicious all the same. That is sad. Uh, anyway, if you would like to read us, leave us a review that we will read on the show. Uh, it can be about movies. It can be about ice cream. It can be about literally only those two things. Please go on iTunes and Fighting in the War Room. Uh, do us a solid. Or you can email Dave at fitwrpodcast at gmail.com. Dot podcast. Dot. I'll say it again at the end of the show. Mm. Enjoy the show. 
the cooling, man, you send you up. Freezing, cooling, nine to nine twos, oh, alright. To kick off the show today, we're going to talk about a brand new movie from an auteur filmmaker and arguably a uh, one of the great screenwriters of the 90s, 2000s, and a guy that got dumped on HBO Max. I can't tell if people have seen this movie. It's called Kimmy, directed by Steven Stoderberg, written by David Kep of uh, Jurassic Park fame, but perhaps more importantly, Premium Rush fame. I would say David Kep (laughs) went and made Premium Rush again, but about computers. Most relevantly of Panic Room fame. Okay, Mm. that's fair. Yeah, Mm. I see that. Um, David Kep has written this movie before. I was talking to a colleague of mine who's like, "Can you describe what's extraordinary about Kimmy? Why do people seem to really dig this movie?" I don't think I can, and I'm not sure I'm going to make it sound amazing on this chat. And maybe, maybe we will. Maybe all of us will come to this conclusion. But I had a grand old time watching Soderbergh kind of direct the hell out of a conversation-esque paranoia thriller starring Zoe Kravitz, an actor I'm, I'm not usually jazzed by, but she kind of immerses herself in this uh, post-pandemic agoraphobic character who programs Alexa units, basically. The Kimmy is a faux Alexa, um, and she commands it from around her amazing apartment. I think she's in where? Portland? Seattle. Seattle. Seattle? Okay. I mean, the Uh, the apartment is a set in LA, but it is set in uh, Seattle. Sure. Okay. It's it's an amazing apartment. Really, studio space, brand new kitchen, great workspace. I love it. You can understand why she's agoraphobic. (laughs) If I lived in that apartment, I would be afraid of anywhere else as well. It's fantastic. Um, Anyway, so she has an interesting job. She so the Kimmy unit, I guess, to best Alexa, uh, is not only answering questions and heeding the call of its users. It's also each time someone asks, learning about what they want, and anytime it can't answer a question, a real life person, uh, in this case Zoe Kravitz, Angela, uh, answers that question or, or recorrects the programming in the Kimmy unit, and of course. What does she discover one day when going through audio files of people asking weird questions and getting incorrect answers, vulgar answers? Uh, she f- hears a murder. She hears something or like some sort of violent act. And she needs to take this to her higher ups at this tech conglomerate, which seems to be on the precipice of, uh, I don't know, going public or. Yeah, they're going public. Exactly they're, they're like they're, a they're about to yeah. from their IPO. And. So, of course, they do not want to deal with a murder that's been overheard by a Kimmy unit, and chaos ensues. This movie is as much like an anti-HR screed as it is a like <laughs> paranoia thriller about hired gunmen coming after her to snuff out the, her and the tape. Um, what did you guys make of this movie? Do you have any reaction to people who kind of roll their eyes and say this is just another Hitchcockian thriller? For me, I don't know. The combination of Soderbergh who just knows exactly where to put the camera for maximum enjoyment and is not overthinking this movie. It is not a, a chore. It is not, I, I mean, we've talked about Soderbergh movies here in the past. No Sudden Move from last year was on my top 10. I just think he kind of makes this effortless because he's not overthinking the the technical and he's not Fincher, like you mentioned, Panic Room. This is not an immaculate movie, I don't think, by any means. But the combination well, of He's not really like, in the 
play in the sandbox kind of attitude. And Cap, who has done this movie a million times, I had a lot of fun with Kimmy. Uh, who else has seen it? I have. Everyone but me, I think. Okay. Um, you can spoil it. It's no, fine. I just didn't want to monologue if all four of us had opinions about this. Um, but we do. <laughs> no, I mean, my, my overall take about Soderbergh's uh, HBO Max years is that he's no longer in the business of, of hitting home runs, right? Like he is uh, trying to make the kind of movies that he can only make in the space, the kind of movies that people used to make a little bit more freely, the, the mid-range adult films um, that are just in the budgets that, that Hollywood isn't interested in making anymore. And he does that very well, but part of his process and why he's able to be so prolific is that he's comfortable just getting those movies made, doing them to the best of his ability, doing them with a clarity that seems... Um, you know, impossible to almost anyone else or that he sort of fetishizes. And he's happy just getting on base and hitting singles and not really interested in swinging one out of the park. Uh, and I think sometimes it's harder for me to adjust to that than others. There are times when I really miss his grander ambition. Uh, but Kimmy is not one of those times. I mean, Kimmy, I think, is such a fun movie because of its modesty and because of how sleek and exciting it's able to be within the confines of the story it's telling and where it's telling it i mean this is a covid movie um so it's and it's one of you know a recent spate of covid movies that sort of acknowledge the pandemic but also um refuse to be too boxed in by it they they understand the parameters but are still late how does it acknowledge the pandemic i'm always curious about oh, movies that i mean she's agoraphobic take place be- in our world because well, of the pandemic oh no she's that's not true. what's interesting about the character and i have to say this about zoe kravitz who's like i, I think even if it didn't find her to be a compelling actor is one of the most beautiful human beings on the planet. And I could watch her in anything for that reason alone. I think the word I used to describe her performance in my review here is flinty. I think she has a really flinty, but sort of peevish performance also. And is all the more fascinating for that, you know, in her blue Amelie Bob, uh, she wears very well, but it was the interesting detail about COVID in her character is that it's not presented as though COVID was the cause of her agoraphobia. But that kind of COVID uh, exacerbated her agoraphobia, but then even more so that she's using COVID as an excuse to sort of sink deeper into her agoraphobia. Um, And that Mm -hmm. is really interesting. It really paints her not as someone who is necessarily like, you know, she is suffering from a a condition legitimately, but at the same time, it makes her a little bit more nuanced and modeled as a character to feel like she is actively sort of manipulating the situation. This is not dissimilar from how she manipulates some of the people in her life who she has little patience for. And I think the movie is a lot more interesting and touchy as a result of that. But it's also, it's really fun. It does the whole um, 21st century blowout thing uh, down the first act. It, it gets out into the city and runs around in the second act. And then the third act goes full on Alexa panic room. Um, and all three of these acts are discreet, but build to a holistic you know, whole and then they work well and there are all sorts of sort of Soderbergh flourishes throughout the Derek Delgadio of the uh um I don't know what to call him. A magician isn't right. The man the man we we talked yeah, about it. But I mean show, like I think. I think he blanches at the idea of being described as like a magician. Um but whatever, you know who he is. He uh he's a vintage outside the box Soderbergh casting. Um, oh wow I didn't even I didn't even notice that. Wow. Okay. From the from the magic special. Yeah. yeah. Talked about on the podcast. See episode whatever. I don't know. Yeah. And yeah. um, you know, it's all it's all <laughs> it's all fun. Uh Rita Wilson has a good role. There are a lot of like there are a lot of quick roles here and there. Um 
it, it's a lot. Is more Rita psych- Wilson like the Brendan Fraser of No Sudden Move? Of this one, you're just like, oh yeah, yeah. You. She plays the the physical manifestation of the bad HR vibes that Patches was talking about earlier. Um, and there's there's a lot of you know chatter that, that they don't belabor too much because the movie's so busy moving along about the the lack of morality around technology and how these tools are really sort of um, at the mercy of how people use them. Because what's interesting is that it's not just purely like a tech phobic movie. It's not about this, this tech trying to kill her. This tech, you know, this company that hires her is sort of turned against her and they're able to track her every move. It's also the means by which she is able to fight back. And, um, you know, the, the movie is not naive enough to think that all the invasive technology that is a part of our daily lives right now is ever going to be going away. And so it's really about finding a way to live with it, much like Kimmy has to find a way to live with her um, agoraphobia. And that becomes that becomes a really neat little parallel. And it's a really good time with the movies. I don't know. I mean, not that you'll be able to see it at the movies, but it's the next best thing. It's what we got in 2022. Yeah, I really liked it just because sort of what David was saying at the end there, where it's a thriller that is, you know, like I to agree with Patch's kind of like conversation like uh but it isn't a thriller that is like about complete tech paranoia. It's just sort of like, and now we all live with things that voluntarily could record us at any given time. And that's become acceptable. It's not the conversation where he's going to like rip out his apartment to try to find a bug. Everyone's walking around with a phone and whether your company or somebody else can like manipulate that, that isn't necessarily the point of the film. And so I like how the character is defined, you know, through her actions, but she's also uh, put herself in a technology position where she knows exactly how things work and, you know, tries to live within it because it is also feeding into the, her agoraphobia is the ability to FaceTime with people and the ability to hook everything up to a Kimmy. So the idea that it uh, works for you and works against you, depending on how much you dip into it, I think uh, is a great place for this to land and allows it to sort of be like light and fun and not necessarily a screed on anything. And then I don't know if the the middle outside part works as well for me as the inside parts, uh, but uh, it's fine. The one advantage of going outside for me was that scene where she gets wrapped up into a protest where I think what are are they protesting labor issues what are no they- they're protesting uh, Seattle sweeping away homeless, homeless encampment homeless encampment. That, so that's an interesting what do you what do you make of that that just like that starts the movie a little bit and then we pop she pops into that protest against the homeless or, or not against the homeless against the the city's <laughs> inactivity um and then I just love the set piece where the home where the protesters are coming to her aid and like people are saving her from these uh, faceless thugs. I, I I don't know what to exactly I mean, make of the uh, comment on the city at large, but it's a marker in time. I think as much as anything else. I mean, it's a way for the movie to be set because you know, that is something that was happening. Not when they were shooting the movie. It's not something that they organically happened upon, but it's something that's been happening uh, in the Pacific Northwest um, during the pandemic. Uh, yeah, it sort of allows a little bit more of this very uh, verisimilitude. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, it has a fun little set piece where she's fighting, there's an entire action set piece, as exciting as anything you find in Uncharted, it takes place <laughs> entirely in the back of a van, you know, it's, uh, any of these, Uncharted like, a lot takes of the, entirely like, place? In no, the, 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 the action oh. set piece here, 
Um, and the digital cinematography, the sort of run and gun style that has put me off of so much digital filmmaking, but certainly, you know, comparing Soderbergh's older films to the more recent ones, I, I think works here and it suits the material. And yeah, it's all good. It's all good, man. It's all good, man. It's definitely a good uh, movie to happen upon when you're when you're just looking for something to stream. Yeah, I, I was impressed by the uh, there's scenes when I that looked like they were shot on the iPhone. The way he did like high flying what bird or, uh, or bird, yeah, high flying bird. Uh, there's some really interesting photography in this movie. There's I have a lot of like little micro notes about this movie. To your point, David. Yeah, maybe Soderbergh's not hitting home runs. I would adjust that baseball ma- metaphor. I would say. Soderbergh hits home runs. He just doesn't do grand slams a lot and doesn't think they're worth it. Like, I'm, he's a home run man for me. Um, and it's all about the choice. It's like Erica Christensen from Swim Fan uh, is in this movie? Great. Like, get her in there. Um, and I love, and I love, I love that. I'm not sure if that's, you know. She was in traffic, apparently. Uh, she was she, in She traffic. was also on Parenthood for like oh, Parenthood. She's, in Scientology. She's, been, she's been working. Um, I just I feel like Swim mm. Fan has connections to Kimmy. I thought that was a little subtle reference to Swim I, Fan. I think probably My other more big perk is, is that she worked with, <laughs> worked with him in traffic, yes. Yes, he worked with the traffic. Uh, I will also say the nail gun totally underutilized uh weapon in in movies. Mm. And I'm glad the nail gun gets some time in Kimmy. It's a really Do nail guns it? really oh, yes. work like that though? Can like, you if shoot someone with a nail really, gun? Pretty sure. If nail guns were as deadly as they are in the film, I feel like that would just be people's weapon of choice in the world. <laughs> uh, Doesn't isn't isn't the finale of Blood Simple? Isn't that a big nail gun, or is that like a yes. staple gun? It's been a long time since I saw. I, I guess not a lot of contractors are going or going postal or something. We're not seeing a lot of nail gun attacks. Thankfully. I mean, I'm knock yet. on wood. Who, knock uh, on wood. Maybe we need one more for a trend. If you've been watching Pam and Tommy, Seth Rogen's character, the contractor in that in that one, he's wielding a lot of nail guns. He could go ham at any minute. Kimmy, Kimmy, K I M I. Get two Dave segments in a row. Hey, do you want me to ask you questions about uh <laughs> about everything about all of it? Uh, that's I, I think, in which I think it's Katie asks questions about Boba Fett, Mister Boba. No, no, Fett. no well, we were do- we're doing Doctor oh, Strange. No. Doctor Strange. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, God, Here we Boba go. Boba Fett. Jesus Christ. Um. All right, Dave. I watched the Super Bowl trailer. Oh, is it the Super? I watched like a two and a half minute trailer for Doctor Strange. It's not the Super Bowl during the Super Bowl. It's not the Super Bowl spot that was like. No, no, it's not a Super Bowl. It's the big game spot. Okay, can we not get sued no by the NFL pay- here? No one's paying me not to say, uh, Super Bowl. But anyway, I don't think I watched the Super Bowl spot. I watched a trailer for Doctor Strange. Here's the thing. Okay, I haven't seen the Spider Man mm-hmm. that everybody <laughs> in the world has seen. The Spider Man is the thing. Plural. Is the thing he's talking about about opening up all the portals to other worlds? That's what happens in Spider Man. Uh, maybe I don't think he's that's like clear. I did what I had to do to save the world. Yeah, that could be um him don't telling Tony Stark there was there was one way through and therefore dooming 
many multiverses by shunting us into a correct one. That could be possibly be it. It could be uh, what he did in Spider-Man, or it could be something he does in uh, this movie. Okay. All right. Uh, next question. I really liked WandaVision. I feel very invested in uh, Scarlet Witch at this point. Does it seem like this is doing right by her based on what you expected? Uh, I believe she will be an antagonistic force. How much control she has over herself, nobody knows. Uh, okay. There's a time in the trailer where we could see two Wandas at least. Uh, there's some bloody Wandas. <laughs> there are some Wandas fighting what looks like a Captain Marvel. Uh, and it is the multiverse of madness, and we see multiple Doctor Stranges. So I imagine there's a Wanda you'll like all the way through. When is there okay. going to be? I'm sorry. Uh, can, can I just jump in with one quick question? When is there going to be? <laughs> no, no, go for it. Go for it. Of happiness. Haven't we been through enough? Uh, when will there be Star Peace? <laughs> I mean, we no kind of answered that question. This is pandemic check-in hundred. Can we please have a little bit of levity? <laughs> yeah, weren't the early episodes of Wandavision the multiverse of happiness? Oh, boy, I, I guess it wasn't really multiverse. I think you could argue Spider-Man No Way Home is the multiverse of happiness. Everyone loves all the Spider-Man. It no, certainly wasn't for me. Portals. <laughs> um. Okay. I guess final question. Uh, Dave, yeah. does this look good? Yeah, 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 it looks good. It Okay. I will say as far as Marvel movies that um are key films that have the entire team behind them, I am heartened by what I see here that does look like maybe Sam Raimi got to move the camera a little bit more <laughs> than other people have gotten to move the camera. I mean, I I was talking to somebody about this. Look, no no one can make their own movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's impossible. You can't. That's You can't defy the formula. But Kevin Feige stands Sam Raimi. The man loves the Spider-Man movies that Sam Raimi made because this is when Kevin Feige was, like, coming up and cutting his teeth. So he's going to give this old, this old bastard his due. And, like, I think this is Oz great and powerful, Sam Raimi, for sure. But it's still Sam Raimi. He's still going to do, like, canted angles. I mean, Doctor Strange... That's what it's all about. Like it's so canted angles. Edges. I mean, if, if all you need. No, 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 no! I was adding more. <laughs> I was going to say pixelated faces and okay. wackadoo angles as he's floating through the multiverse and shattering into a million pieces. Like, let Sam Raimi have drag me to hell, but make it. The I was going to say either he drags fun with it. to hell, or I'm not interested. I feel like that's act. That's like totally possible. Drag her Dave, here the and keep her there. Here are the real questions. Uh, is Patrick Stewart going to be Professor uh, Charles Xavier in this movie? Yes. Yes, definitely. That's awesome. Oh, right. I forgot to ask That's you cool. about Patrick Stewart being in this movie. But here's the real question. Why are, Why do people think Tom Cruise is going to show up in this movie as some sort of alternate universe Iron Man? Just because he almost played Tony Stark in a 90s version of Iron Man once upon a time? This actually happened at New Line. Wait, this is just going to yes. be more. It's it's going to be more yes. of them riffing David's on like meta corporate fan casting. Like, uh, this is all all these movies are these days. <laughs> so what happened was Marvel Studios became so gigantic, uh, you don't actually need to give your consent for Marvel to eat your property alive, as long as they own the character at some point. Uh, Netflix Marvel series are leaving. As of March 1st, yeah, how about they that? will pop up on a Hulu or on a Disney Plus. And, uh, you know, this 
Professor X might actually be, it makes the most sense to me, actually, that he's the Professor X from the animated series, since we know they're going to pick up the animated series uh, from exactly where it left off, which is where was Professor X. Absolutely insane. What the fuck? Wait, what would it mean that he's the animated Professor X? Like, what Go would see even the Channing Tatum-directed well, Cap- dog, which has nothing to do with any of the shit. It's about Channing Tatum driving halfway across the country with a dog, okay? Enough. Sounds great. Sold. You know, dog, Channing Tatum, dog's out now. Gambit in that movie? Or? <laughs> no, do- dog's he makes, out he makes some big gambits. gambits. No spoilers, but there are some, some big gambits are made. I'll say that much. <laughs> anyway, people think that it, Iron Man's in it because uh, the Ultron bots that are pushing or uh, that are bringing Doctor Strange to the Illuminati panel. The Ultron bots, David. Uh, would be the uh, panel, David. From uh, a timeline some, where Tony Stark news. successfully created Ultron. I have one last thing to ask about Doctor Strange, which is that the first Doctor Strange came out in 2016. I was a completely different person back then. I believe we all were. Oh, really? Is it too Why? much for them to ask us to uh, to remember anything about this well, guy? To or be anything? Clear, no, no. He's, he's been in like four other movies since then. I know. I'm aware. I just like saw Rachel McAdams and I was like, oh, God, she's in these things, isn't she? Has she been in another one since then? Was I she don't know. No, no. So you have to remember yeah. Rachel McAdams and you have to remember... Uh, the Baron Mordo character, and those are the two you have to remember from Ex- last time. Who? Who? Chiwetel. Baron Legia, Mordo. is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Do you yeah, remember he, that? He's been chilling for a while. I, oh, no, he showed up in. I do. He showed up in something in a Marvel thing. No, Whatever, I don't care. I don't. Oh. I really don't care. I, why am I? I do. This? You do. You care. How, you care. How about uh, um, Benjamin Bratt? Is he in this one? Oh my! Did God, he die? Right. He died. Oh, Did he die? I, forgot uh, about I don't Benjamin think he's Bratt. in. It, I'm it's looking po- at the IMDb <laughs> It's possible that characters are uh, from the first one will make short cameos uh, because Christine Palmer is getting married to somebody that isn't Doctor Strange. You see that in the trailer. Oh, they broke up? Apparently. <laughs> well, Time will he tell. Had to go, he had to go be he, Sorcerer Supreme and a lot has happened. She's the Time did, Traveler's wife, right? Did- <laughs> Yeah. Didn't the first Doctor Strange open like November eighth, twenty sixteen, or it something did. like that? It like did, a period yes. in which many minds have been were melted and have no ability to retain information. And we entered a multiverse of madness, and Doctor Strange sure has did. come back to shut it all up for us again. We sure did. If if anyone if anyone can save us, it's Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm yeah, sure. uh, he's mostly going to probably show up and give us mutants or something. So go oh, go no. Marvel movies oh, it, movies. I was on top of the world living high was right in my pocket I was living the life Things were just the way they should be When from out of the sky like a bomb Comes some little punk in a rocket Some strange things are happening to me I had friends I had lots of friends Now all my friends are gone Dave, for segment three this week, you got to pick, and you picked the book of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. And you kindly only had me watch the last two episodes because I hadn't been watching the show at all. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you want to talk what? about the book of Boba Fett? What? 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 Which, part, which part are you wanting? You only watched the last two episodes? Yep, yeah, that's man. all she needed to watch. I got 
things to do. You didn't read the whole book? You're spark noting it? <laughs> I spark notes the book. The I read only the thing Boba Fett writes book. is in the last episode. So she watched the writing of the book of Boba Fett, which is his terms of non-surrender. In my younger and more vulnerable years. <laughs> yeah. I like those scenes I, where uh, old Boba Fett is sitting down at his desk and pulling out his quill and writing down. And this is what they call computer. It is, uh, it is funny that Dave assigned me the last two episodes in the first one I watched had almost no Boba Fett in it, which I knew. I had heard people talking about that, but the extent to which there was no Boba Fett still surprised me. But Dave, why did you want to talk about Book of Boba Fett, a show that I don't think you like that much? It's a very weird thing to call a television series uh, because of some of the choices it made. Uh, I think just the the people behind the Mandalorian were drunk with power and put it all on the roulette wheel on one space, and that space was Robert Rodriguez. And I think that's a big gamble because given Robert Rodriguez's output, uh, he's not a prestige filmmaker uh, that I would associate with Star Wars. He's more somebody who makes, you know, uh, weird grindhouse-ish movies, sometimes even called grindhouse. And um, uh, sort of artifacts of what we thought was cool action back when it was like the mid middle '90s, middle to late '90s. He's like a Quentin Tarantino contemporary, but where? But he also makes Spy uh, Kids, right? And Shark he has Boy this and Lava Girl. He has this bifurcated thing where he like embraces tech, the part, the like indie part of him that came up with like El Mariachi and shooting it for like a couple of thousand dollars. Um, is that he kind of just, if he can do it, he will do it and like maybe not take it as seriously. And I feel like it's peppered throughout, uh, the book of Boba Fett. Um, and then I guess John Favreau and Dave Filoni, who did a lot of the writing, uh, really leaned into their playing with their action figures, um, sort of to the detriment of their being a full story. Like, I think you got as much Boba Fett in this series. We pick him up out of he's coming out of the Sarlacc pit. And then um, he spends some time with some Tuscans. Uh, but we're also following him. Under the Tuscan the sun? Current... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, How long have we, you been we... sitting on that one? I, I haven't <laughs> thought of the word Tuscan <laughs> in 25 years. They're not even useful characters in Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. So I have no reason to think oh, of them. That, that's how you know. Uh, but we're also following a current day storyline, current day, whatever it's set five years after <laughs> Return of the Jedi, um, uh, where long, he's long time ago. Tr- trying to take over Jabba's crime territory, but does no crime um, and seems to not be a very good crime boss. He doesn't have a lot of followers. Uh, he's kind of instantly overthrown and the most he does in terms of like being a leader is demand some tribute, but loosely Uh, he lowers the price of water at one shop uh, in an episode. You didn't see Katie, but that's, you know, positive (laughs) progress. Sure. That seems like a good thing to do. Yeah. And then uh, the one place that does, you know, swear fealty to him gets blown up, uh, which you saw. Oh, that's that, that. Okay. I didn't know what that place was. Yeah, it's like the rest his friendly restaurant. Got okay. Blown up by the other criminal group. 
and mm-hmm. he's like, I'm gonna make a stand for for Mos Espa and uh, for all the people of Tatooine who he's not from there and not connected to. And then he lets the Rancor loose, which does like a ton of damage versus like the droids, which don't hit anything. I'm just so confused about what I was supposed to learn about Boba Fett. Well, and I let, think you saw, Katie, a lot of the result of it. Let, let's, go is, back, let's go back for one second, because I, I, I would be interested in your perspective and everyone here's perspective about like, why, like, why does the show exist on the level of um, like why people are obsessed with Boba Fett and what continuously carving out corners of a universe like Star Wars really, really does for fans. Like what, what the ultimate goal is in, in telling the story The people have been trying to make a Boba Fett thing for ages. I mean, after the original yeah. Star Wars movies came out, there were books and comic books about Boba Fett. People have been people that we know like colleagues like i think of jermaine lucier who have been talking this whole time io9 go read him he loves star wars so much more than anyone else in this entire world and i talk to him a lot about star wars and i call him out because he is the person this show is theoretically made for someone who's just like been praying at the altar of star wars his entire life and wants to see boba fett crawl out of the sarlacc pit which is this uh idea that was introduced in expanded universe storytelling immediately after the original trilogy was over and people were like Wait, never thought they'd ever get more Star Wars ever again. Like we never wait, thought. Wait, okay, we'd get so the wait, prequels. we see Boba Fett go in the star in the Sarlacc pit hit in Star Wars in, in Return, Return of the, the Jedi. Jedi. He goes okay. and falls and who, has the worst, who, dumbest death in Star Wars history. Who right? puts him in there? He just uh, I did. well, he's in. Yeah, David stuffed his head down there because he's like, "Fuck Star Wars, nerd," and then uh, <laughs> gave him a swirly in the Sarlacc pit. No, I mean yep. in Return of the Jedi, Boba Fett, this amazing, mysterious bounty hunter badass uh, is fighting Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Chewbacca and his backpack fires off accidentally and gets shot into the star like big dope. I mean, it is the, okay, so the people lamest had, death people were, ever. People were mad that his death was lame and then they yes. introduced an expanded universe that he like lived on and everyone's been like, oh, he's so cool. I want to see more of him. Yes. And, and from Return of the Jedi onward, people have been waiting to see Boba Fett do Something and as soon as Disney acquires Lucasfilm, there's immediate speculation that they'll do something with Boba Fett. And we've learned, thanks to me, that uh, Josh Trank <laughs> was going to make a big Boba Fett movie and like going to do this whole reconsideration of Boba Fett as this prequel character coming. I mean, he was now reestablished in the prequel films as the child of the Clone Wars, essentially. So he had backstory. He had this conundrum to him. What is this character? And what's interesting about the book of Boba Fett is it actually deals with that shit. It's trying to do something where it's like connecting prequel and original trilogies. This is the Dave Filoni thing. Now, Katie, you don't know Dave Filoni because you have not spent hours of your life watching Star Wars related cartoons. But no, but I know have... Dave Filoni is like a big Star Wars story guy. Yes, he is the guy. George Lucas was like, we're on the same wavelength. You will do my legacy. He's justice. not quite and the Kevin Feige the of Star Day. Wars, but he's close to it. He could be if they gave him all the keys, but they decided to give John Favreau half the keys for some reason. Yeah, it's like an uncharted. Like a... Okay. When they both each have a key and they have to <laughs> they have to put them in the thing and spin them around and find the coordinates on the map. I guess yeah, I'm, like what, I'm, what I'm wondering out loud about is like and trying to fully understand the scope of is just how much time was spent thinking about Boba Fett, knowing how how important 
this character is to the grand scheme of Star Wars fandom. How many people tried? Because after Josh Trank left and decided not to make Boba Fett, they stewed on that for a while, and then James Mangold was going to make a Boba Fett thing, like right before Mandalorian took shape. It was going to be a like secret Western. No one would see it coming. It, I, yeah, uh, it's a half an Ozu film, actually, and a Western, you know. If you really know your movies, you'll, you'd get it. Um, but yeah, and then it fell apart, because Mandalorian filled that role. For they could do something brand new and also take everything people liked about Boba Fett and bring it to the Mandalorian. I think that was really successful. Well, that's the reason Mandalorian existed, right? It was like, Boba Fett's this Clearly. guy's got a backstory. We're going to take someone like, the Man- someone like Boba Fett and just do our own story. Right? Absolutely. I mean, that I would okay. I would say like you get around the Boba Fett, you get around the Boba Fett problem of having to like understand how he emerged from the Clone Wars and the prequel trilogy and being the son of Jango Fett or what not, whatever nonsense Lucas established then, and then you just have a new character who wears the armor and does all the badass things, and then now you've introduced Boba Fett and tried to make him not cool. Like I just want to clarify dad? that Jango Fett is a legitimate character. It. He's blue. He's got blue armor. Uh, he is bluish, and that's uh, you know he's in he's in Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. He's like a he applies like a burn, which stops Terminator game. Uh, yeah, he he hung out on so. Camino. I'm sure you're familiar yeah. as a player of the game. Uh, but yeah, I guess the big question is like what 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 do you think they went into, and what does this show try and do for Boba Fett? How do you think it capitalizes on years and years and years of people wanting to see Boba Fett do a thing? What was the thing, and does it do it? And maybe that's just a question for Dave. It doesn't do it because it's not the thing because Boba Fett has... What's the thing? The thing is to make Boba Fett a villain, to make him the guy who Darth Vader has to tell him not to disintegrate anybody, uh, to make him... Ever since Boba Fett was introduced as a bounty hunter, the one who happened to get Han Solo of a group of bounty hunters, uh, he became, you know super popular and then he looks really cool and would be a great toy again super popular uh the first version of the toy had a rocket that would kids would choke on so they had to recall it so it's a of the like of the original toy lines it's a rare toy they were even going to do a boba fett video game lucasfilm was where it would be him on the streets uh the streets the levels of coruscant uh before uh, mean streets of lucasfilm was well, before Lucasfilm and LucasArts was sold to Disney and they canceled that project to, you know, keep all the Star Wars games in their new canon. Um, but Boba Fett's constantly been softened. Uh, you know, they're softening or away. humanized, softened or dimensionalized out of necessity of telling a story about him. Like, can you not soften a man with no name, mysterious face character who has no purpose? Like, as soon as you start trying to complicate him, he would soften. Um, I think trying to change his alignment uh, from a villain to like a I don't want to be a bounty hunter anymore when it's like that's been his identity for the entire time we've known what that character is. And not only that, but that's been his sole identity until the prequels uh, when he is, you know, the scion of Django uh, now. Um, that is a completely different character that was like raised by bounty hunters and raised in trauma and has like a grudge against Mace Windu than a guy that just like David crawls. Mm. Well, then a guy that crawls out of the Sarlacc pit, gets his armor stolen by Jawas, spends some time with Tuskins, 
but spends so much time with Tuskins, he forgets that his armor was stolen by Jarawas and goes back to the Sarlacc pit. Like, it's lazy. They had to go in and redefine Boba Fett, and the idea is How hard do you have to live to forget who stole your fucking. What kind of armor is it? Beskar. Your Beskar armor, of course, the armor, we know. Uh, you know, if you so much shit's happened, you forgot that at the time a bunch of Jawas surrounded you and stole your armor. That's a life. But by the time we got, they got around to redefining Boba Fett. Um, a lot of the things that they could define him doesn't line up with like the Disney ethos of it all. He doesn't pilot the Slave One. He pilots at Fire Spray. He doesn't womanize. Yes, they like changed the name Fett of does. his ship. Did they ever explain? <laughs> is is Slave I... One just not something we should call <laughs> that ship? Is that is that bad? It seems, yeah. like, a, seems like a bad Disney calls it Boba Fett's uh, starship. I just feel like this particular, branding. I mean, all I think all of these Disney Plus shows are a fucking blight on humanity, I have to say, including WandaVision, which we've talked about at length on the show. Um, but the Star Wars ones You're are in the minority. I'm aware. I mean, come on. Yeah. Mandalorian rocks. Um, Mandalorian's fun. No, but uh, the uh, Book of Boba Fett does seem to be especially bad. I have not watched a second of it. I only have but one life to live. Uh, but the it does seem like karmic retribution to an entire mindset of fandom these days that this particular show would be bad because the the obsessiveness of fandom, the, the, the need to sort of put their own stamp on things and to constantly um, grind the fun out of, out of what this could be um, and take the authorship away from the people who created these characters is visited upon a character whose only trait was being cool. I mean, like he was born in, in this patch of set, sort of the man from no name, or the man with no name ethos. And there is no depth there. And there isn't meant to be. I mean, he's meant to suggest something. That's what Boba Fett does in his movies. He implies a wider universe and a mystery that is only sustained because it is untapped. Well, and so, yes, know, but, like, but and, also and so, like, Star Wars going into this and huge amounts of money is plumbing every corner. No, of course. I mean, of course, he's very toyetic. <laughs> You know, the whole thing is part of the Star Wars lore. I get it. He's a lot of fun for kids to play with when they're not choking to death on his gun or whatever. And uh, I think he would make an excellent video game character, particularly in the vein of like a classic JRPG where the hero never speaks. Um, That would have been perfect. But that's not what, you know, the streaming era had in mind for him. And the fact that it sounds like they've struggled mightily to make an interesting show around the character. But what's weird is, is, is that just they have successfully made many movies about the man with no name. There are well, stories there, to tell about these types of characters. In there the were there are three. Why do those movies work? He's the main character of. They're not Disney movies. Yeah, well, this is true. Um, and yeah, it's a very different scenario. I don't know. I think the, the ethos of the characters might track, but the way that they were used doesn't. Yeah, the is a expa- problem. The- Go, Go ahead, Dave. Oh no, the the Boba Fett stuff that worked from the previous canon was all in like comic books and video games and. Well, like, I would say that Boba Fett and- is currently working in comic books. I, here's how far I've descended into just like Star Wars curiosity about like how storytelling is working in this universe. I'm I'm actually reading the War of Bounty Hunters Star Wars comic book uh, event series right now, and like. Boba Fett is funny. Boba Fett is rampaging through the universe trying to get what's his. He's angry. That takes place between Empire and Return of the Jedi, right? Yes. Uh, And and everyone is trying to get Han Solo's carbonite body. Um, Everyone in the universe wants it. And there's a a need. There's a drive there. Uh, People just want to make money. They want to get what's theirs. I feel like Boba Fett 
in the book of Boba Fett could be the lead, could be an anti-hero. He just doesn't want anything. And it's a very strange motivation for a person to be like, I'm going to take over a crime syndicate, but I actually, and this is said in the last episode, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't like it. Like, that's yeah. not a great motivation <laughs> for a character. It's perfectly fine. And maybe you're right, Dave, that this is just like friction with the Disneyfication of Star Wars. Like, can he just want to kill people? Can he just want to no. be a slumlord? Because George Lucas, the demented man that I love more and more as the Star Wars universe extends, um, really wanted to make Star Wars Underworld, his TV show, that he was going to do it like ABC or something. Was somehow. it about the battle no between lichens and vampires? <laughs> it was not, but that would be great too. I mean, there are vampires in Star Wars. I'm not going to go there. There but, are? Um, there definitely are. Wow. Um, but his, he wanted to make... He wanted to make The Sopranos or Breaking Bad for Star Wars. And you can imagine how that would be possible. You can't imagine how it would be possible with Disney Plus. And I think that's right. where you mm. run into a problem. He's a crime lord that does no crime. He, he needs a crime. A fa- bounty hunter who decides to give that up, but doesn't do anything. He is apparently out for people's best interests, but as far as I could tell, just gets people killed. Um, it's, it's very odd. Because Boba Fett can't be the cool things that we want Boba Fett to be. So what we're left with, you'd think, would be something that was like really purely Star Wars. But again, you take somebody whose face is shared with every clone, who got to see the end of the Galactic Republic and like lived through that, but that's not what this show's about. We're back on Tatooine with the Tuscans. It feels like a, a bunch of weird, weird choices. And I... Like, even, like, at a pitch meeting, it feels like someone should have changed the course of this. This is reminding me that David and Anakin Skywalker are a lot alike. I think they both we- hate sand. I would- <laughs> they do. I do. I, I famously loathe I know. sand. Not aesthetically. You don't like the beach, do you? The, you don't no, seem like yeah. a beach guy. Oh, my God. I can't no. stand it. And everyone is fucking obsessed real, with it. And it really baffles me. Anakin. Not dissimilar to Star Wars. Um, But, you know, it, it, this does sound to me like a show that uh, you could watch Dog, the movie about Channing Tatum going on a road trip with the dog uh, three times in the amount of time it would take you to watch one shitty-ass season of The Book of Boba Fett. Uh, And uh, there are books in Dog, too. No spoilers, but there are. Uh, Dave, my question to you (laughs) is, because this is something that I do wrestle with, even though I have chosen not to partake in the Star Wars uh, Disney Plus series, is as someone who follows all this stuff, do you think that the next Star Wars movie, if and when that ever happens, the next proper Star Wars movie, theatrical only, none of this day and day bullshit, is still going to be, I don't want to say as much of an event, because I feel like those days have gone, but still going to be a legitimate event that's sort of qualifiably different from the Star Wars content you're getting on Disney+. Plus. Yes. Um, the only reason I think why is because they... Disney will use everything it has learned to make that happen because they have built two theme parks that are set in the sequel era <laughs> and nobody cares about that fucking era anymore. So the quicker they could get eyes back there, how do they do uh, the better? I mean, I, I well, actually have an idea for that, but they've yeah. just announced like this week, a new tie in novel about Han and Leia's wedding and honeymoon. So the honeymoon, they will be taking on the Halcyon which is the Star Wars hotel 
uh, at Disney. So you too could go oh, on the starship that no, wait, uh, high here's so interesting to me. Be- David. Well, I just want to follow that up on what David was saying because the, it, it seems indicative of a broader phenomenon, which is that everyone is sort of building uh, on sand right now with any sort of which you new hate. stories so like right, that they're telling. And the only thing that are standing the test of time are the legacy characters. And I'm not just talking about Star Wars, but really it feels like you know all the franchises that are coming back in vogue and any of the new series or, or your reboots or whatnot, it's all vapor. And the core characters that predated all this stuff remain intact. And that feels like it can't, like, yeah, the, it, it can, it can sort of, there's a churn for a while in the Ouroboros of, of this franchise is eating their tail, but eventually they're going to exhaust themselves and we're going to be left with nothing, right? Like, it feels well, like if Star Wars think, can't get I you to care about get, the fr- this franchise sequels, then what can? I think there's a way, I think, well, I can imagine this path, which is for every time a Star Wars movie has come out, it's felt like an event because it's actually been the return of Star Wars, right? Like the prequels, we're making more. Can't believe it. It's back. And we're going to do a trilogy. And then the, the sequel trilogy, Abrams kicked off. Like, we're doing it again. We can't believe it. How do you do... You can't do that in the Disney Plus era. What they can do, and what it seems like they're doing, just based on how the shows are mapping out, because they're doing the Ahsoka show, and they're going to do the, like... It sounds like a daytime uh, talk know. show, the way the you say it. The military show. It's 3 p.m. <laughs> Ahsoka- on a Monday. It's the Ahsoka show. There's Ahsoka. Do, do. Free cars. You get a car. You get a car. No, um, I don't know if Ahsoka has that I, kind of budget right out of the gate, but okay. I I think that the the movies may have to be more one off and marvelly almost. Like, will all these shows build to the movie? Will the Mandalorian and Ahsoka all collide in this big like Mandalore giant action blockbuster? Like, will they stop being trilogies? We meet new characters and we go on this very singular adventure. And will they feel like extensions of the shows? Will they become events to see only but, in theaters with a certain theatrical budget? But isn't budget? what the TV shows are doing the the Marvel equivalent? Like, I, it sounds like there hasn't been a ton of crossover yet. But that the, focusing on one character at a time and then maybe eventually merging them together, uh, that feels like the TV character, the TV. The fact that you said there hasn't been a ton of crossover means you definitely didn't. I, I mean, I haven't. I mean, maybe they've been... You yeah, haven't even happened. seen digital Luke, Luke. Luke Skywalker's in this oh, right. show. I, I yeah, imagine, that imagine and we're going to get like Final Fantasy Spirits Within with like digital Luke, Leia, and Hop. That's where we're ultimately. Uh, that'll be. Um, uh, the movies need to be an event. I think they need to be trilogies. I think it benefits them because mm-hmm. then you sell three movies, and even if you know one of them is bad, you've sold three movies over like five years. Um, and you've sold the anticipation of three movies over five years. If you play one shots, you're rolling the dice on if it's solo or rogue one. And those are like your options, uh, monetarily. I'm purely speaking monetarily and like trying to develop an IP. Uh, I do think it's possible that if they keep fucking around on the movies and they can't figure out a way forward, uh, the next new star Wars movie we'll actually get, will actually be, like an Avengers of the Disney Plus, uh, yeah, things. that's like I, a, a war, a war for Mandalore. That feels so thing. likely. Uh, I mean, that that so does feel inevitable, but it also but is so again, depressing. I mean, I say I say this to someone it, like the resident grump here who was taken with the first two and especially the second chapter of the most recent Star Wars trilogy because you know they yeah they relied on the past of Star Wars to a certain degree, but it was also you know so much about it was the push and pull between the old and the new, but. 
but it didn't require the sort of homework that has become de rigueur. David, can I assuage your fears here? One, no. I have one word for you. I have one word. Snow. Yaddle. <laughs> That's what we want, snow. Oh, Yaddle is good too, actually. I really want that. Yaddle, Yaddle's pretty that good. That beautiful oh. mane of hair. <laughs> Eventually, they'll they'll come back and they'll start plumbing the sequel trilogy because the thing we've learned about Star Wars is uh, they make a movie, the fans hate it, uh, Ewoks are teddy bears, they shouldn't have defeated the Empire, uh, and why didn't want to know who his father was or what he was when he was like nine? How did Palpatine resurrect himself? Oscar Isaac just says somehow Palpatine returned. These are all bad things. But then you wait for the generation who saw those things as children and would just accepted them as being Star Wars to grow up, and that's who you're selling to at some point. They transition from the Disney area to the Disney adult. Palpatine returns. <laughs> Battle droids aren't stupid anymore I'm, because uh, of the I am Clone such a I am War such a sucker and everything. I'm such a sucker that I like can't wait for another Ray movie. I am, and I hate. Rise of Skywalker. That movie's Are they terrible. ever going to make another Ray movie? Oh, really? oh yeah. yes, they will. Oh, my they're gonna, God. Wow. They're going to back wait. up a dump truck full of money it's in front of great. Daisy Risley's house, and oh, she's like going to she, accept it. Yeah, I'm sure she'll be. Uh, she'll have lots of options. Um, I what, had no idea how valuable that uh, Ray still Ray, was Ray to rules. Star Wars. I bet you Ray becomes even more popular with kids over time who discovered that movie and just see her being a total badass. And like, I bet Ray is kind of has that prequel trilogy maturity and the, i bet you they do like shows about that animated stuff like ray will be a thing and i can't wait well i think ray's a great character also the way you make money in star wars as david alluded to is you find the corner and the dumb fucking character that you thought nobody cared about and you try to make something out of it what and there's a ton of there's a babu frick there's a ton of that in the sequel series you still don't know like who's really the <laughs> unless unless you read the comics, it's okay. You don't for know David about do like everybody. the Knights of Ren. Really, come with me to like Temple that. on Friday night. Eh? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> come to Shul. It's good. It's good. I live for this. Uh, I have, I have one more question for Katie about the Book of Boba Fett, which is a bad show, but it did have like moments of catnip for me, and one of them was uh, Cad Bane showing up in the last <laughs> two episodes. Cad Bane. Uh, a, bo- a bounty hunter that fans of the cartoons know very, very well. I'm and Googling um, Cad Bane. Oh, oh the Jesus blue guy. Christ. The oh, blue yeah. Guy. No, he's yes. good. Yeah. I hope when you got yeah, Google good. Star Wars blue guy, a polygon uh, uh, article. God. Uh, um, uh, 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 hold, please. Uh, I hope Star Wars. My point here uh, is that Ma- Cad Bane... Massa Meta is who comes up. Oh, uh, don't yeah, tell me that. Don't, he is don't, blue. Don't tell me this. Um, look, Cad Bane... Should have been the bad guy of Boa Fett? Like, should have been the primary Wait, antagonist? Wait, he wasn't? He like, wasn't? He's not in the- no, no, he was only- You saw all you of saw Cad Bane. Bo- both episodes of Cad Bane was in Because that scene where he walks up to Timothy Oliphant, and it's like, uh, like a man with no name Western. Like, that was good. I was like, okay. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's it would have been really compelling thing. if he was in the I other I don't understand why he's episodes. not in the first episode being like, Boba, we have history. We're going to be like the thing in this show. This is going to be great. They had to hold him for a reveal. It was so ridiculous and annoying, but- I gotta say, um, I like a Cad Bane. Dave, Katie, what did you make of Cad Bane? Wait, no, liked him, liked Timothy Oliphant, obviously. I feel like that's pretty uncontroversial. Liked Amy Sedaris and Wait, airlifted what? in from The Mandalorian. Amy Sedaris is in this? Wait, yeah. did you know, she, did you know she's on the- This is multiple seasons now. I stole did you know the she's on The Mandalorian? No. Did you know, 
Oh yeah, Amy Sedaris is on The Mandalorian. She yeah, and Obi Wan have good. a whole thing. Yes. Yeah, she's, uh, in, I mean, she's in both she seasons of the Mandalorian and Book of Boba. Yeah. She's basically Jerry a Blank Disney Blank Plus mainstay now. To, she's she's in the big action sequence at the end of Book. The the uh, the end the big action sequence at the end. I was you know understood to varying degrees, but uh, the part where Amy Sedaris is just like running around in a big carriage what's, with what's the Mandalorian the hanging on the back is great. It's great. She has an know. afro. She's wonderful. No, it's more like a. Uh, it's a perm. It's a perm. Like uh, I think I feel like it's like Meryl Streep's hair in Silkwood. Wow. It's it's like a. I just want to take I just want to take this this brief opportunity for Pe- anyone Pe- else. Motto is her name. Anyone else who's listening out there, um, to say that if you have not seen the Comedy Central show Strangers with Candy, the brainchild <laughs> of Amy Sedaris, please stop whatever it is that you were doing in your life. Uh, and go watch all three seasons immediately. The movie at the end of them is optional. Uh, but David, I feel like you owe yourself The Mandalorian, really no. which I, is I a watched, good show. I watched has the entire first it. season of The Mandalorian, and I hated every single moment oh, of it. You so didn't get that's to the enough. Good part. Uh, Wait, and also, she's not Bill, in Burr, the Mandalorian? Bill Burr of The Mandalorian is in Dog, directed by Channing Tatum. Uh, so <laughs> wow, there you go. Weird Dog. that you got paid to mention Dog <laughs> and didn't share any of that money no. with us. Um, no, this is the thing is like, there are all these parts and like the, the second to last episode, which is mostly like baby Yoda training with Mark Hamill, who I thought was fine. Um, it was like pretty good, but everyone, oh, by all accounts, it was just like, oh, this was a good episode of Boba Fett. That wasn't about Boba Fett. Yep. It was a good episode about the Mandalorian. Those are um, the little book of Boba Fett. Can I just teeth. to, just to finish the segment <laughs> off by not being a giant grouch. Can I look at my collection of Star Wars heroes and name the one character I would like for them to make a show about next? Uh, yes, sure. Okay, but like, this is happening in real time. I haven't settled on anything yet. Um, oh, okay. can I ask I, I about a, a clear can, idea? No. Can I ask about the Star Wars character? I don't know if they're ever going to bring back. Sure. And yeah. you guys can tell me. Uh, Infus Nest. Oh, yeah. Come back? Infus Nest is a badass. Uh, I would, I, I would like, watch that show. Yes. I mean, what a, you, what you a know, great character in making, a nonsense movie. They're making a solo adjacent show. I mean, in theory, Donald Glover is going to star in a Lando show. In theory, yes. In, th- in big theory. I feel like that is not going to happen. I don't know. I feel like Donald right. Glover's Donald Glover is not on this like path. He does, whatever he, he a, does whatever he wants. And there's, a Star Wars, there's a Star Wars series that starts uh, shooting in June. The production weekly has listed that nobody knows what it is. But I don't think it's Lando because I think Donald Glover's not available. Okay, I think I've got okay. it. I think I've got it. The Wait, next, right. the next Star Wars Disney Plus show, the one that is shooting in secret this summer, is going to be called Droid Dika. It's going to be about the little ball droid thing that yeah. shows up in the Phantom Menace and rolls around and it oh. pops up and has a little shield and it shoots. I, um, I feel like hey, the droid deck has uh, just showed up in Boba Fett, but sure. yeah, they did. No! The, the scorpion droids are well. I mean, droidicas. but also, also, but it, it could be a that they've just backdoored a... the droid deck in. So yeah, I mean, yeah, everything right. is going according to plan. Uh, yeah, how did he become the scorpion droid that fought <laughs> the Rancor and in, in the Battle of Mos Espa? Can't wait. I will tune Dave, in for Droid Decca. That's my I, promise to you. I want to know what Dave, Dave. What Star Wars character do you want to see get a show? You know, mm. I, I'm kind of curious. I mean, Enfys Nest is good. Um, Are you looking forward to Andor? Uh, the, for some reason, Rogue One spinoff that they made? That um, is happening? 
Not particularly. I'm not. I'm not super uh, interested in that. Uh, I'm very wary of Kenobi coming up because I think I know some stuff that happens boy, that oh, has boy. already made me. Yeah, you uh, told me about interested. that. I'm I'm cringing a little bit over Obi Wan now. I was very excited, uh, and you have lowered the lowered my interest. Well, I'm not going to lower everybody's interests. Uh, but I I really am kind of excited for Ahsoka as somebody who did watch the Clone Wars and did watch Rebels. And who uh, you know has read the old Thrawn trilogy and the new Thrawn trilogy. I'm I'm excited to see all of that happening. What I'm not super psyched about is the idea that Baby Yoda has to be in every Disney Plus show. So if it doesn't mm. happen during a time period where Baby Yoda is around, it's probably not going to happen. I think Baby Yoda's going to get his own show, Grogu Grogu Chronicles. Something no, like because then nobody would no. watch the other shows. Wow. And like I don't I don't know I don't want to hold he's he's such a good um he's such a good him. extra bit and like his relationship with the Mandalorian and like ugh, we're, we're well so his long, like, his blacked out memory time period is the time period that Obi Wan Kenobi takes place in so can Disney Plus make a TV show about Star Wars and not have a Baby Yoda oh, wow. challenge? May why is the Mandalorian such a good character and Boba Fett is not? Because the Mandalorian stole Boba Fett's plot. Like, a Boba Fett show should have been him wandering around doing bounties and going soft for a baby Yoda. That's a brilliant plot for somebody that should be a villain. And then it's only really Pedro Pascal's uh, voice acting and uh, his series of body doubles being able to basically mime well that has made that character, like, really endearing, despite the fact that those aren't usually things that make a Star Wars character endearing. But yeah. Mandalorian stole Boba Fett's reinvention. Pedro Pascal is so good as the Mandalorian. Weirdly. Like, I don't get why, but it's got a nice voice. Got a he good does. Voice. He and sex- then he shows he off sexes that- directly into your ears. It's just pure sex. And then every time he shows <laughs> off that mustache, it's like 10 times as potent. More sex. Tell me the way. Tell me the way, Space Daddy. Sexy man. <laughs> Boba Fett, you're sexy too. I mean, I like Tomorrow Morrison. I don't want to be too Was there- hard on this. Yeah. After I read that whole New Yorker thing about there not being enough sex on TV, I assume there was no sex in Boba Fett. Nope. It's Disney. No, he fucks a Jawa. <laughs> All right. And Actually, Boba, Boba Fett, it's on Disney Plus. You could watch it. Oh, I was thinking the whole time that the Jawas were what Tusken Raiders were, and now I just looked up Tusken Raiders. Those are different. No, Jawas are tiny. And they we used no to call them sand people. Yeah, we did. That oh, was, uh, that's, that seems, seems not, like a good thing that we we, we is the wrong answer is the wrong word there. <laughs> Only Dave called Old them sand people. Old Ben Kenobi used to call them sand people. Ben, how do you think he got the name Ben? Can't wait to learn. Or is that his real name the whole time? That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week talking about Marry Me, the Jennifer Lopez Owen Wilson vehicle that I am assuming has nothing in common with Boba Fett. There has to be something more interesting. Oh, fuck. Are you kidding me? Oh, shit. Really? (laughs) What are you screaming? I picked this last week. I know. I I feel like the the discourse has ruled that we should pick something else. Wow. That's not how it works, David. No, it's not how it works. Damn. I speak wow. on behalf of the people, but he speaks for the trees. He says Harry is uh, a Lorax. You, you you get to pick the week after that, so go ahead and make your pick. Oh, and you can do whatever you want. I'm going to make Katie play uh, all 40 hours of Horizon Forbidden West. <laughs> not not a chance. I'm not buying a video. You, game yeah, you got to get uh, yeah, two PS5, kids, Katie. no daycare. I'm sending you a PS5. Let's go. <laughs>
Uh, in the meantime, tell people who you are. I am Matt Patches, deputy editor over at Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can uh, go back and listen to whatever episode where we talk about that magician special. That I can't remember his name. Can't remember the name of the special. Derek in and of in and in and of itself, I, Derek Delgado. I certainly don't remember the episode, but it's there, like so many Sometimes others. It- I was gonna say it's like about a year ago. I'm gonna see if I can find it. Wow, really? It's on Hulu. It's a great show. Listen to it our accompaniment accompanying uh, podcast. Fightingintheworm.com. I'm David Ehrlich, uh, your resident Joy Decca Stan. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You can find me on IndieWire, uh, writing about movies uh, such as Uncharted and uh, probably by the time this is posted, Channing Tatum's Dog, which is good. <laughs> Hadn't, haven't heard of it. Um, you can also find all of us together on iTunes. If finding in the war room, leave us a review. We'll read it live on the show. And if that doesn't work for you for some reason, feel free to email F-I-T-W-R dot podcast. Is that right? Yeah. At, I mean, that's the thing I say. So how uh, about just... Whatever. I'm trying to give you a good. break. Uh, yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, that's F-I-T-W-R dot podcast at gmail.com. There you can email us about uh, frozen treats uh, you sampled thanks to us talking about things. Or Book of Boba Fett or your international reviews. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter, DA70. That's it. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. We talked about In and of Itself on January 28th, 2021, which is also the episode in which we talked about Tenet, which really makes me feel like time's holding (laughs) on itself because... I thought we all saw that in the summer, but apparently Dave and I only saw it in January. This is how time works now. Uh, you can find me at Vanity Fair and on the Little Gold Men podcast. Uh, and it's a good show. I can't think of anything else to plug it right now. You can follow me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can tell me about how time is folding in on itself for you. Or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Uncharted, what cinema's best hidden treasure? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Happy Pandemic 100, everyone! I'm done.